Hey, everyone. Kara here from The Kara Golden Show. Look, I've started and scaled companies, but when I first started podcasting, figuring out the workflow for this business was a real challenge. There were so many moving parts that I needed to learn from scheduling and recording to editing and promoting each episode. But once I streamlined the process, things got easier. I was able to focus more on bringing in amazing guests and delivering great content, which was such a relief. Thinking about this experience reminded me of the challenges many face managing their business every day. Whether you are the CEO or working supporting one, you need the right tools to streamline processes, especially when it comes to shipping and handling orders. That's where ShipStation comes in. ShipStation makes it easy to manage your shipments from all your sales channels. ShipStation automates tasks, prints shipping labels in bulk, and keeps your customers informed, freeing up your time to focus on growing your business. If you're looking for a way to simplify shipping and make your business more efficient, ShipStation is the solution. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time too. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me and my team to manage orders from anywhere, print shipping labels from just a click. Yes, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable with discounts up to 89% off carrier rates. And who wouldn't want that? Plus, an easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses as well? ShipStation just makes it easier so your business can grow. And yes, even when you're on your summer vacation, ShipStation is it. Work less and ship more with ShipStation, the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA, K-A-R-A, to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. You don't walk into a mix and we're shouting at you, eco this or <laughs> organic or sustainable, right, any of that. We try to do it in a low key way so that it's not alienating to anybody. We give you little nuggets and can hopefully take you on a journey to have you be more interested in kind of the decisions we make around our sourcing, around energy efficiency, water conservation, how we build our spaces, how we divert 99% of our waste from landfills. And if you just show up for good food, that's totally fine with us too. So here we had this dilemma, this this fact, this fact. I spent almost a decade, decade researching decade. this subject. Every aspect of your metabolic health improves. From the Hint offices in San Francisco, I'm Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint. You may have tried Hint Water before, but this is my podcast. Each week, we talk to some of the most creative entrepreneurs from world touring pop stars like Jay Sean to the people behind favorite Instagram accounts, including So Yummy, New York City, and even YouTubers like Sarah Dietschy. So the million dollar question, what does it really take to be unstoppable? Let's find out. 
Hi everybody, it's Kara from Unstoppable with Kara Golden. We're super, super excited to be here this morning. We are here with Leslie Silverglide from Mixed. Very, very excited to have you here this morning, Leslie. Super psyched. So if you are not familiar with Mixed, Mixed is this amazing, amazing, uh, well, most people know it by Mixed Greens, but an amazing, amazing restaurant that uh, I stumbled upon actually more than a few years ago. Um, and uh, anyway, we, I love, love, love. It's really a place where you can go and just create your own salad and overall just healthy, healthy meals. I mean, I think, you know, I hesitate when I say just salads because I had a nice warm uh, chicken the other day. It was amazing. <laughs> so, and it's just super, super quality food. And now they have one right around the corner from us off of, Union Street on, on Fillmore. So anyway, we asked Leslie to come over here this morning and tell us a little bit about her and her why and why she's unstoppable. So Leslie, thanks so much for taking time. Absolutely. It's great to be here. So uh, so we'll just start off just by hearing a little bit about you, where you're from and where'd you grow up and get just to give people some background on the entrepreneur that you are. Absolutely. So I was actually born in Nashville, Tennessee but my parents moved uh, shortly after I was born, so I was just a toddler. And we eventually landed in New Jersey when I was seven, and so that's where I spent the majority of my childhood until I went to college in Baltimore, Maryland. And so um, I always like to say that I love having an East Coast personality, but living here on the West Coast. So where, where did you go to school? So I went to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, so I, really thought I was going to go into the foreign service. I wanted to be potentially a diplomat or something like that. And obviously life has taken me in a very different directions, but, but that's how I initially wound up at Hopkins. So why a diplomat? Like what, <laughs> what do you think it was about being a diplomat that you really thought going to be the inspiration? And when I, when I was younger, I had this idealized version of myself being kind of a female Indiana Jones slash secret CIA agent or maybe something in between female James Bond. And so I, f I thought that would be the, the path to get me there. But um, when I was in school, I, so I studied international relations, but I stumbled upon classes in the Department of Geography and Environmental Engineering. And it just really clicked for me that I really wanted to do something good for our planet. And I just really dove into my classes there. And so I ended up majoring in both international relations and geography from the School of um, Engineering and uh, decided to go down more of an environmental sustainability path. That's awesome. And didn't you cross over the ocean and go somewhere else to school too? Yep. So after I graduated from college, I ended up traveling for about a year, just experiencing the world and getting to see all different cultures and countries and the way people live. And I ended up after that at Oxford studying biodiversity conservation and management. And what is that? So <laughs> it's basically environmental sustainability and thinking about our planet and um, the biodiversity on it and how we can best protect that and sustain it. And it was through that, during that time, that I realized that I was not meant to be an on-the-ground conservationist at all and that if I really wanted to make a big impact that I would 
need to do it through business. And seeing that business utilizes most of the world's resources, it seemed like a pretty interesting fit. So I ended up writing my dissertation on eco-entrepreneurship. So it was how you take this idea of being good for the planet, but also still having a viable company and enterprise. And so um, I did research on all sorts of different industries, and I knew coming out of that that I wanted to start a business that first and foremost was bringing an awesome product or service to the market, but then the way we operated was completely sustainable. And so really dissecting every aspect of our footprint and how we could do it better and hopefully set a mold for a different type of business. I've spoken on a ton of college campuses and I would say that, you know, doing something in eco-sustainability or is is like the, it seems like it's almost like a catchphrase mm-hmm. right now in colleges and mm-hmm. it, I mean, I'd love for them to hear from you because I really think that it's like a, you've actually taken, you know, that concept mm-hmm. and maybe a little earlier than what they're, you know, where they are today. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I'd love to see in colleges people highlighted like you that are taking, you know, these, th- these, you know, trainings internally and turning it into a real business and that's really what you've done i think with mixed screens so mixed screens uh was actually founded the same year as hint uh, <laughs> in 2005 and then uh i remember you telling me about uh nestle came calling a few years later and how did you decide to sort of like think about that mm-hmm. conversation well it was interesting because when we opened our first restaurant it was in 2006 And at the time, especially in fast casual or quick service, no one was really focused on serving better, more sustainable, really good, healthy, high quality meals. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was more about convenience and fast and being very crave worthy. And so we, most people told us when we were starting Mix that we were crazy and we absolutely should not do it, that salads at the time were still just considered an appetizer. No one was going to eat a salad as just a meal. And no one was going to buy into this idea that quick service or fast casual could be higher end. And this is how the, the best <laughs> get founded. They're always like the crazy ones, right? Yeah. Crazy ideas and nobody believed in them. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, the ones that have a mindset, um, or maybe in the case of you, a partner, mm-hmm. right, that is able to also say, like, we're not crazy. Yeah. I mean, we're, like, maybe, you know, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. But, I mean, my husband and I both, you know, when we were starting Can, it was the same conversation, right? So, anyway, so keep going. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, and, and the other thing, I mean, we were in our mid-20s, and what did we have to lose? And so we just thought that we could really do something better and, and see if this could, would resonate with customers. And so we found a location right in the heart of downtown San Francisco. We convinced the landlord to take a chance on us and go ahead and sign a lease. And we did a lot of the construction ourselves for the first restaurant. And we opened our doors, having given the staff one day of training and said, okay, here we go. And we really were just praying that someone showed up. Mm-hmm. And before we opened our doors at 1030, we already had a line down the street and wrapping down the block. 
and we had no idea what to do. So we just opened our doors and let people flood in. And the first day was absolutely mayhem. We completely ran out of food. We realized that we needed to increase our staff 2X and basically spent that first month redoing operations every night <laughs> until we started to find our groove. But was this your first restaurant? I mean, that you had ever, like, had you worked in restaurants before? Or? I, I had dabbled in it. I mean, I had been a hostess when I was in right. high school. I, but no, I hadn't. My, we, our third partner was my brother, who was a fine dining chef. Okay. And so he's the one that brought the culinary expertise and then also the restaurant operations to the That's team. Awesome. Is, he, is he still involved? He isn't. No, he's no. not involved anymore. Interesting. And so you, uh, so Nestle, you ended up selling it and then buying it back. Is that is that very common? I mean, for found, <laughs> I, I've actually heard that a couple of times. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting. I think when people think like, okay, I'm going to go sell my company. Um, they think like, okay, that's done. But I've now heard it happen a few times where the company gets sold and then they've ended up buying it back and, you know, it actually does better. Yeah. I I think it's more common than people would expect. You know, once people hear our story, then they're always like, oh, you know, I've done that too. Or all these people kind of come out of the woodwork. Um, And for us, you know, it was an interesting situation where it was 2009, we had three stores open, three additional ones under development. Um, the business was running really well and getting impro- approached with a group that was a private equity firm that was backed by Nestle, you know, seemed pretty attractive. And we were also very uncertain of the economic times. And so things kind of yeah, were getting... nine was crazy. Yeah. For sure. And it just kept getting worse. And so as being positioned as the, the higher end quick service place, we just didn't know... What, was, what the future was going to look like. And so now you know, we're still in our 20s and we just were hesitant whether or not this is the best that was ever going to come and we we're going to kick ourselves. And so we ended up doing a deal and I went back to business school at the time. And so I realized that I had been pretty much flying by the seat of my pants and going from a company with zero employees to over a hundred and just learning everything on the fly because I hadn't taken one business class in my life. And so I felt like going back to business school was the best thing that I could do for myself. And, and so that's, that's what I did. And so did you know that you were going to go back to business school prior to actually selling the company or were you? I had started to put it into the plan. And, and so I had been thinking about, we had debated raising money or or not and continuing to bootstrap. And we had decided we were going to continue to bootstrap. And so we already had our next three deals signed. So we knew what basically the next year and a half was going to look like. And, and so I said, you know, I can still go to school and continue with my role and run the company for the next couple of years and then come out of school and then really hopefully be at a good place where we were going to really start growing. That's awesome. And you co-founded the company with your husband. Yes. And your brother. Yes. And, uh, and what was your husband doing before this too? So my, my husband actually had done his MBA at Oxford. Okay. Yeah. So he had the, the business acumen. I had the sustainability piece and my brother had the culinary piece. But no operational experience. Dave had never worked in a restaurant. Yeah, yeah, so, that's awesome. But he also, his background was in technology, and so he had worked for um, data networking companies. And so he came at it from a very process-oriented way. And it was actually, I think, part of our success is because 
you had two people that weren't restaurant people. So we were able to look at everything with completely fresh eyes and think about how we could do things differently. And I think this is where I was going with this. Like, I really do think that that's like such a key component when I, you know, I get asked all the time, like, how did you know how to do this? And, you know, I think if you really believe that you're smart, mm -hmm. right. And you're willing to view, you know, the problem as a puzzle mm -hmm. and that you've got to go tackle it. I think most people can do it, but there's this doubt and this feeling like, and, and I think it's, it's also, you know, brought up by when you tell people that you're doing this mm -hmm. business, they're like, have you ever done a salad business? Have you mm -hmm. ever done a restaurant? <laughs> yep. Have you ever done this? Have you ever done this? And mm -hmm. I mean, I was the first person to say no, 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 mm -hmm. and ask why yep. constantly, which I know, you know, it sounds like that that's where you were at as well. That's super, super cool. So do you think if you're going to sell your company, if there's people like thinking about selling their company, do you think that there's something that, like, is there something you should have in the documents to, that say, like, if it doesn't work out, right? Like, you've built this brand. Yeah. You sell it. Yeah. Like, is there some, like, few lines in there to say, like, we have an option at some point or, like... De definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think that... It's a good point. Yeah. I think that's a, a great point. I mean, if you can negotiate it in, I think it's always worth the, the try to do it because you never know. Yeah. And one of the biggest learnings for us is that you don't appreciate something until it's usually gone. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and so that was also our situation. You know, we, we didn't really truly appreciate how amazing the business was and, and what we could do with it. Yeah. And so having that perspective and coming back into it, um, is something that we're just very thankful for every day. And I think helps us be better. Well, you guys were really smart about that because I know I've talked to founders, um, you know, the flip side of it too, where they've sold their company off to people and or companies and then, you know, they watch it just, you know, basically erode, yep. you know, and I think it's like, especially when you've sweated out, yep. you know, <laughs> exchanged, uh, you know, basically making no money for sweating a lot yeah. and then all of a sudden you see somebody wrecking something it can just like kill your soul yep and it's um it's it's hard and i think it's like you guys really did it right so i think the other thing that's really unique that i know about you leslie is that then you went off like and and leslie is not like you know, the face of the brand only. Like, she's actually in there. I see her salad, Like, definitely in there every day and working with her employees, which is awesome. But also then uh, you decided to co-found another company mm -hmm. because you weren't busy enough. And, yep. and you've got, how many kids? Two? Three? Two. Two. Yep. Two kids, yeah. And uh, so just not even busy, even slightly. But then she goes and tries and goes and tries and succeeds in founding another company. So tell me a little bit about that. It's called Wello. Yeah. So I started this, I started Wello in business school mm -hmm. with one of my best friends. And so we realized that I obviously have this passion for health and wellness. And um, having been on the food side, I was also very curious about the fitness side. And so the, there was a group of friends that while we were in business school, we decided to do the Sean T insanity workout video together. So we'd wake up super early in the morning before our classes and meet and do these videos. And we had fun doing it. It, it 
ended up being kind of a disaster because it wasn't right for anyone. And so people were getting big muscles where they didn't want them. And it just, it it wasn't really a success, but we had so much fun doing it. And Mm so it just got us thinking, how can you design a fitness program for someone so it's completely personalized, but also have it be accountable where they stick to it? Because at the time there was apps coming out where they would give you a personalized fitness plan, but that there was just no accountability to it. So what do we, we said, what if we take this magic of the guy leading our workouts, who's talking to us through a TV, what if we made it live and had him really talking to you where he's really correcting your form? He's making sure that he knows your goals and he's developing a program just for you. And so at the time, this was 2010 and the rise of video technology was just really coming about. It was early. Yeah, it it was early, but I mean, Skype had been around and it was, it, it, it just, there was something that clicked and it was like, this is a way that people should work out. They should have the ability to have live videos that they could stream, that they could become bringing people into their home to make fitness more accountable, more fun and more personalized. And so we started running with that idea and started testing it with all sorts of different fitness professionals um, and customers just using Skype and saying, okay, you know, we're going to connect you to now you're going to do a half an hour workout at home and this person can be across the country. And people were just blown away. They're like, wow, like, first of all, the effectiveness of it. If you've ever worked out with a personal trainer, they just make you work harder. You want to impress them. (laughs) It's just human nature. And you're going to show up when you have a real person there waiting for you. And then the personalized aspect to know that, okay, you know, we pushed you to your limit. Let's now do something else. And, and that was just, there there was so much magic in it. And, um, so we started building a technology team to build a product so we could have a full marketplace where you could find and schedule a workout and then the live video connection for it to happen. Um, so, you know, I would say that we were hoping to ride this wave of video technology. And when we first started, it was still, there was choppiness and it was, it wasn't, connection wasn't always great and getting people's computers or even when we launched an app, it was, it was still, there was a lot of technological issues. Yeah. Did Anne have a technology background or was she? No, she was actually a consultant from Bain and Company. So yeah, we, neither of us did. We did find, find somebody to come in and be our CTO Mm -hmm. who had a deep technology background and was a partner with us and was amazing. And so he was able to lead the engineering components and the technology components of it. And so we, and as we were building this, our expectation too, is that we kind of built this for ourselves and thinking, okay, we've been busy professionals. It's been hard for us to get our workouts in, especially her as a consultant on the road. And so we thought we were building this for busy professionals or stay at home moms that could do this while their kids were napping. And what we found was that the people that were doing it every day and loved it were typically people that were actually looking to lose a substantial amount of weight and didn't feel comfortable working out in public. And so we realized that this was all set in this great product where it was bringing fitness to people who would typically go and buy your DVDs or buy your fitness equipment and then it would just collect dust. But this was really working to help them change their lives. And so we're about, about four years in, we were talking to Weight Watchers about doing a partnership 
And then it evolved, the conversations evolved and all of a sudden um, the discussion was being had about them acquiring us. It's amazing. Yeah. And so you got acquired. So we got acquired by Weight Watchers in 2014 and it was the first acquisition that Weight Watchers had ever done since they were founded in the 60s. And it was a really an amazing experience because we spent a lot of time be, during the acquisition discussions planning out what this would look like and what we were going to do and what it would mean with a company headquartered in New York. We're obviously based here in San Francisco and where they wanted to take their product. And it really was, I think, uh, such a great match and that our team became the West Coast Technology Hub for Weight Watchers and has been a very, very successful part of the company now. So how much are you working in that company now? Not at all. Not at all. No. You're just, yeah, you're totally focused on mixed at this point. Yeah. So I stayed for about a year and a half through the transition, and um, but then uh, realized that once my husband had acquired back mixed and um, had, was running a few other businesses himself that um, he needed help and, and to come back and that we could kind of just restart again and That's take awesome. our initial vision for the company and continue running with it. That's super, super awesome. Well, I love how, you know, we talked about you have two kids, you <laughs> run this with your husband. How do you feel about, you know, being an entrepreneur <laughs> and also, you know, being parents too? Yeah. I mean, a lot of, I get asked that question a lot too. I have uh, four teenagers now. <laughs> That's amazing. It's crazy. <laughs> Chaos and pandemonium. Um, <laughs> But it's, uh, but I get asked that a lot as well, that it's, it's like, and I mean, it's, it's interesting cause it's kind of all like, I didn't have, um, my own business when I didn't have kids and yep. then all of a sudden I like started this business and then, well actually I had a couple of kids and then I started this business and, um, you know, I don't think my kids know anything different. I yep. mean, it's like, you know, definitely I think the, you work really super hard, but the flexibility is there too if you need to run out and do something and um, and then also I, I just think as my kids have gotten older too I've, I've really seen that they've seen things like women can actually run companies mm -hmm. and um, and also that they can do stuff that they're really interested in yep. and passionate about and the parents can work together so I'd love to hear your experience on that as well. Yeah when I was running Wello we we're working basically 17 hour days yeah. <laughs> and couldn't fathom how I could possibly fit in having a baby. But it got to the point where I knew it was something that I wanted to do. And I said, like everything else, I'm just going to have to figure it out. Yeah. And I know this seems insane and I have no idea how it's going to work, but I know that we'll, we'll be able to figure it out. And so I was, you know, full steam ahead, start a, a technology startup, grinding away yeah. when I got pregnant with my daughter, Tegan. And I just assumed that I would be back at work probably a week after she was born. And that was going to be the way it was. And we actually, the acquisition happened when I was five months pregnant. And so I was very fortunate and then I could have a proper maternity leave and really I didn't, I didn't fully appreciate how much having a child would just rock my life yeah. in such a wonderful way. And 
um, it really did. And so I've just been, it, it creates a different perspective and everybody always kind of says that. And, but I didn't know what that meant until I had, had experienced it. And it just, it changed my focus and that then, you know, it couldn't be just about work. Um, and it, there, there was a lot more at stake. And so I think what it's actually done is it's made me a lot more efficient and a lot more judicious how I spend my time Mm -hmm. and what I dedicate myself to but then like you said it's also thinking about how you can be a role model for these little people and how what you're doing every day how they get to have it infused into their lives and how that can hopefully have some sort of influence on them and I think the mission too I mean I want to talk a little bit about that too I mean it's not just like people think like salad right Mm -hmm. but I think there's a lot more that you guys are thinking about from you know, using some of the knowledge that you had while you were probably in school, but mm-hmm. also just your interest around, you know, making things better. I mean, talk to me a little bit about that, like how, you know, I mean, I, it's not just about going and buying a head of lettuce and cutting it up and giving it to people like your yeah. typical restaurants, right? Yeah. But it's, um, so talk a little bit about your sustainability and stuff that you're doing around that. Yeah, I think um, one of the very surprising consequences of starting mix for me was initially when we were planning it and getting it ready and building it out I was super excited by the opportunity I wanted to try something I wanted to see how customers responded you know I was that was more of my motivation Mm -hmm. but the day that we opened it completely shifted where now all of a sudden we had a staff of 20 And their livelihood was completely dependent on the decisions that we made. And that just changed my perspective uh, so much. And thinking about, you have all these people that are counting on you. Mm -hmm. And they're counting on you for their paycheck and for their, to support their family. And so that's really becomes my number one driver. Yep and being successful and making sure the company is thriving and we're making good decisions because I don't ever want to jeopardize their jobs and their careers. And I want to make sure that we can always be a place where people can thrive. And so that is a huge part of our DNA and just what I believe in. And then from the sustainability perspective, I mean, it was, if we go back in time to when we started this, people were talking about things being green or eco-friendly it usually meant that you were paying more or you were having to sacrifice some sort of quality you know joke like you could get something organic in every color as long as it was oatmeal Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so we really wanted to break that and say you know first and foremost you're going to get an awesome product that you're going to love and you're going to love it for the way it tastes and you're going to love the experience and oh by the way this is just this just happens to be how we think and how we run our business And I think that's been a very good model for us where you don't walk into a mixed and we're shouting at you, eco this or organic or sustainable, any of that. It's, it's, it's just, it's infused throughout Mm -hmm. the experience, but we try to do it in a low key way so that it's not alienating to anybody. 
and it becomes more of um, something that you can experience and explore and kind of we give you little nuggets and can hopefully take you on a journey to have you be more interested in kind of the decisions we make around our sourcing, around energy efficiency, water conservation, how we build our spaces, how we divert 99% of our waste from landfills. So that's what we hope to take our customer on that journey. And if you just show up for good food, that's totally fine with us too. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that that's what your environment really brings in for people. I mean, obviously, just like Hint has to be, you know, a great product first, but I think then the rest of that stuff, you know, that you're talking about, the information and sort of what you believe and what you do and the ethos of everything that you do, the waste, mm -hmm. all of this is really is really really what, what's critical so it's interesting we had um one of our guests was this woman marion nestle do you mm -hmm. know Marianne? Yep. yeah and she's really amazing and sort of talking about some of the issues that are out there um just around food safety and some of the some of the stuff and one thing that was um that was brought up i mean she, I've really followed her a lot because there's a lot of testing that's being done especially in the packaged food space where, mm -hmm. you know, you've got big companies that are paying for these tests and mm -hmm. then you ultimately never see like the test results. They'll come back as inconclusive yeah. or thinking and researching more as um, our water supply. So mm -hmm. obviously we have a bottled water company uh -huh. and so it's something that, you know, I've started to look into more and more and, and um, also been following drinking fountains across the U.S. today in our kids' schools um, that affects 35 million kids have too much like arsenic and lead in them, 41%, mm -hmm. um, which is like the recent statistic, which is just absolutely That's crazy. insane. Yeah, so we actually have a whole lobbyist effort going on right now in Washington to try and help change that, um, you know, which is, um, you know, for our product, it's, uh, it's not just coming out of the spigot. We actually go through reverse osmosis and then mm -hmm. um, we pasteurize it and mm -hmm. so we're getting if there were any of those things in there we're mm -hmm. getting them out but I think it's just something that you know be, people are becoming more and more aware of too um, you know as people are getting sick and there's recalls of products that I think it really you know as a society and as a small business I think just like talking about some of the, those things that you're doing to make sure that things are safe is yep. just so critical so yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, there's a safe aspect on so many levels, you yeah. know, it's, it, it is, you don't want something to make anybody sick, mm -hmm. but then that that's immediately sick. But then also I think about long-term sickness and I think there's a lot of environmental factors that are coming into play in terms of long-term health issues for people mm -hmm. that we don't have a good understanding about at all. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's what are we lining packages with and how does that leach into foods and mm -hmm. how does that um, toxic buildup over time then lead to potential long-term illnesses? Totally. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's why we believe so much. We, we, everything comes into our restaurants fresh and it comes in that morning, it's prepped, it's served that day. And that's a something that is so important for us yeah and knowing that things aren't sitting in freezers forever yes, and so <laughs> sitting in packaging for coming across from halfway around the world and I think it really makes a difference yeah it's it's super super uh, important so 
So you guys are in California now. Mm -hmm. um, how many stores? Where are they located? Yep. So we have um, 15 restaurants now between San Francisco and LA. Um, this year we're making a jump to two new regions, which I can't publicly can't talk, talk about, about yet. Okay. <laughs> but outside of California. Outside of California. Okay. Um, we're very, very excited just to bring better eating to as many people as possible around the country. That's awesome. How do you find locations, by the way? Like, how do you you know, decide where are the best locations? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question because I always explain it's as much science as it is art. Mm -hmm. And so as much as you want to, there's all sorts of companies and startups now that are trying to take in all sorts of demographic information and try to pinpoint this is going to be the best location for you. But it is so much about gut feel and you just show up and you feel out an area, you see who's walking around and sometimes you have to have a lot of vision. Yeah. So our, our second store, I think, is a good example of that. So it's on um, an alley off a street in San Francisco, and it had been a pretty derelict alley. But when I saw it for the first time, I said, wait, we have the potential to create kind of like a Parisian outdoor cafe situation where we no, can put, put all yeah, these tables outside, and it could just change this whole area. And and so you, that's why I say there's a, there's a lot of art to it and yeah. kind of being able to see what you could create. Even that one, the, the store that's right around the corner from your offices here, that was a building that was literally falling down and hadn't been touched in years. And so it's really about just having this foresight that you can create something great and hopefully bring yeah, people to it. you guys are jamming it over there. I mean, it's so busy, it's great. So, so I have a few ideas as to why you're unstoppable, but I would love <laughs> to hear, you know, I would love to hear from you, what makes you unstoppable, Leslie? <laughs> um, as uh, someone on my team will say, that I am an internal optimist, and I think that's something that has helped me throughout my life very much so and especially in business is that even when things are terrible because that's frequently the case i have a way of looking and seeing okay how can there how can we bring the sunshine back out and i think that makes a big difference and the other thing is that and this is what my mom always says is that whenever ever since i was little someone would tell me no that was just a starting point for me to get them to yes. <laughs> and so I think it's also that I have very in, ingrained negotiating uh, mindset. <laughs> you, my dad used, used to say that too. So he, he would say, uh, no means maybe, maybe means yes to you, Carol. Although it's, it's had sort of double meaning over the years, not what he intended yeah. to sort of you know, talk about. But it, it's... Um, but and very much an optimist too. But your co-founder is uh, balanced. Does it give balance? I mean, I think it's you know really important too when entrepreneurs uh, come to me and say, you know, I have a friend from business school. Mm -hmm. I like the first thing I want to know, like what is it? Yep. Like who are they as individuals? Because I really do think you need that balance yep. too. Um, do you believe that? Absolutely. I mean, I think I look at Wello with Anne. I mean, we were such a good balance yeah. for one another because I was like, oh, of course we can do this. She was like, are you insane? Yeah. That's great. <laughs> and, and so she was such a realist and would help. So we could meet somewhere in the middle. 
um, which worked really, really well for us. And Dave is very similar in that he's more of a realist as well. And, you know, we also can call him Downer David, but (laughs) um, he is that good check as well. I mean, it's essential. If you have two people that are just, yeah, all is, all is wonderful. It's, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. My husband's chief operating officer and he's the, he's the same way. Actually, it's, it's funny when he was, uh, when one of our kids, we were growing up and somewhere along the way, he was reading something that said that he was the chief operating officer and he looked and he said, I always thought like for years, I thought that you were the chief operating officer. I didn't know that there was a chief operating officer because you were always saying no and you don't want to spend the money and along the way. And so I was like, that is so funny, Mm -hmm. but it's true. Mm -hmm. It is kind of, you know, you need that balance inside of somebody saying like, and I think it's truly important to have both Yeah. um, because if you have, two of the other kind, then yeah. you're never going to get it off the ground because it really does take a little bit of, you know, hope and wish and, you know, licking your finger and holding up in yeah. the air and, and hoping that it's going to go right. So anyway, this is so great, Leslie. Thank you so much for coming and telling us all your story oh, and a little great. bit more about you. Super fun. So, uh, so where do people find you, by the way? Besides in the stores, I mean online, and online <laughs> and social, and I'm not. No. So just mix.com. Just come to mix.com. Yep. Come Order. try our restaurants. Okay. Come try our food and let us know what you think. Awesome. But and we're we're mixed at at on um, Instagram. Awesome. Mixt. Mhm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and thanks again. We've been huge supporters of Hint. Yes. From the beginning, yes, I think. Yes, yes. We were one of the first we restaurants were, to we carry you so, way back in the day. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> super, super awesome. We love working with you guys. And actually, I want I want to talk to you guys, too, about uh, putting it on tap. Oh. Um, at least in uh, the, you know, the one location around the corner. Here. Yeah. And trying it. It's something that we're thinking about. So That's awesome. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're putting tap systems in all of the restaurants. Awesome. Yeah. Very, very cool. Okay, great. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Leslie. Well, thank you. like what you heard, please help spread the word and leave us a review. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Please talk to me at Kara Golden on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be unstoppable. Unstoppable. unstoppable.